and please turn with me to Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth chapter 15 we begin to read from verses 1 through to verses 19 Paul's first letter to the Corinthians chapter 15 we begin to read from verses number 1 through to verses 19. Let's read together. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time most of whom are still living. Though some have fallen asleep, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and at last he, last of all, he appeared to me also as to the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some, some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witness about God, for we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead, but he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are all, we are all people most to be pitied. And we ask the Lord to open our eyes, to open our minds as we come under his word. So today we begin a new sermon series 
called a gospel-centered life. Our hope and aim for this series is to remind ourselves of the gospel, exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. We want to discover afresh what does it mean to have a gospel-centered life? How does a gospel-shaped life look like? How does a life lived under the power of the gospel look like? That's what we're hoping to discover afresh during the course of this series. And I want to answer those questions I've asked quickly, not in a way that is comprehensive. I want to say a life that is lived under the power of the gospel is not performance-based life, but rather it is a life dependent solely on God. It is a life lived that is lived in celebration of what God in Christ has achieved for us. And that's what the gospel is. It sets you and I free from the bondage of trying to perform. It tells us that we cannot earn God's salvation. It tells us that we cannot earn God's generosity and kindness over our lives, but rather we can receive it because he has already achieved it for us. So a life lived under the power of the gospel is a life fully dependent on God for everything. It's a life that celebrates what God has achieved for us on the cross. And that's what we have read in those 19 verses that we have just read. And that's what makes the gospel good news. I love Tom Wright's definition of the good news. He says, good news changes the old story. It brings a new event to an old story. Your life was going this direction and Christ came and brought about a change of direction to the right direction. It brought a new event to an old story. We sometimes sing that hymn called Rock of Ages. There is a stanza there that summarizes the message of the gospel beautifully. It says, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, naked came to thee fortress, helpless look to you for grace. We come naked to him so that he can dress us. So how does a life lived under the power of the gospel look like in the everydayness of life? It is a life lived under the lordship of Jesus in every way, in every aspect of your life. 
to live under the Lordship of Jesus. To bring every aspect of your life under the power and the authority of Jesus. Jesus said, take my yoke and learn from me. While it is not a performance-based life, but we have a responsibility as those whose lives have been changed. So we don't live under the Lordship of Jesus only when we come together on Sunday, but instead when we come together on Sunday, we get to celebrate the fact that we belong to Jesus and we get to encourage one another through songs, through short conversations and through testimonies and hearing each other's stories. But ultimately, we are to go out of this place and model the life lived under the Lordship of Jesus. The way we run our families, does it point that this family, they are a people living their lives under the Lordship of Jesus? The way we treat our neighbors, do we treat them Christianly? The way we treat our colleagues at work, do they see Christ in us? The way we carry ourselves at school, during break, during classes, when we are asked about our homework, do we remember our homework? Do we point our teachers and our fellow students that we are Christ's followers. In other words, we bring the Lordship of Christ everywhere we go. This is the challenge for me. I don't know about you. Because I know days where I have lived my life selfishly. Where I wanted to be the center of my universe. Where I said, if the Lordship of Jesus is going to mean, then I must put myself second then can I put the Lordship here and then focus on me? And when I live like that, I am not modeling a gospel-centered life. I'm not modeling a life changed by the good news of Christ. But I'm living for myself and I'm living to please myself. I am the Lord of my life and my destiny. So that's the question for us this morning. Is that how you live? But I can tell you that that's not how you live every day. But maybe the right question is, is that what you pursue every day to seek to live in, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? You know, when we live like this, we produce what we call a Christian culture. A culture that is described in the Sermon on the Mount, where we are called to be the light and the salt of the earth. I listened to a story of one of the highly reputable uh, preacher or preachers of our time, talking about how wild his life was when he was young, until he went to the uni to university and he came in contact with these young people who were happy but different. Their lives were, were, was clean. They were, they were clean. 
Their language was not foul. The things that they were pursuing were different from the things he was pursuing. And he wanted to know the source of their happiness, the source that guides their lives. It seems to me that these students lived their lives in the university under the lordship of Jesus. And because they lived in that way, they modeled a Christian culture in a society that was different. And their culture challenged this young man. They didn't know that through their modeling of the, life, of the way of Christ, they changed somebody's life who will change many people's lives to come. You and I get to have that privilege every day to seek to live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in so doing, we produce this Christian culture which reminds yours and my responsibility to be the salt and light of the world. But there is another reason for this series. On the one hand, we want to remind ourselves of the, of the gospel. But on the other hand, we are surrounded when we're praying this morning. John prayed specifically that God will help us to switch off from the noise of the world around us. Not sure about you, it is something that I constantly find myself having to deal with. To pray, Lord, quieten my heart. Lord, bring my heart to a place where I can hear you, where I can be able to commune and have fellowship with you. There is so much distraction all around us. So, we cannot avoid that, that there is this distraction around us. Don Carson, or D.A. Carson, begins his sermon called What is the Gospel by this statement, which I'm going to read. Um, my laptop has just went to the place that I didn't ask it to go to. There we go. He says, as he begins his sermon, he says, Many have commented on the fact that the church in the Western world is going through a time of remarkable fragmentation. This fragmentation extends to our understanding of the gospel. I'm not sure about you, but fragmentation is not the word I use every day. So I went and consult dictionary. What, what does that mean? And I discovered that fragmentation is a process or a state of breaking or being broken. So the church in the worst, according to Dawn Carson, which I would agree with him fully, is going through this process of breaking. This process of breaking is questioning deeper the questions or is questioning and undermine our understanding of the gospel. That's what this process of breaking is doing. It seeks to question the things that the church held to for centuries. The church has held on on these values, on these fundamentals. But now, in this time in which we are going through, the church is being questioned. Why are you holding on on those values? 
Those values are outdated, the church is being told. Let go of those, catch up with the time, be forward thinking, wake up. That's what the church is being told. Left, right and center, the church is being pushed into the corner to be the same with the world. One of the areas is the area of the revolution, cultural revolution. The values of Christian, the Christian values that we used to hold on are under attack. The word justice is highly contested today in the culture and the church is being cornered. What are you saying about justice? You have to be careful what you say. And at the end of the day, those questions, they go to our understanding of the gospel. I went on to search, I looked up two major Christian organizations that are very influential to Christian thinking today. They put up together conferences differently. They are both in America, but they're different. And the themes that they had for their conferences speaks to this process which the church is going through. One called it, they called their conference, Stand Firm. Why do you need to be told to stand firm? It's because there are things that are wanting to shake you. So somebody comes along and says, stand firm. I can understand why you feel shaken. The, the, the forces that you are confronted with, they are big, but stand firm. It's interesting, it's the same word Paul uses here when he says, I want to remind you of the gospel on which you stand when you believe. And then another conference, the Shepherds Conference, they put together their conference and their theme was Christ. And when the person who was putting this conference together was asked, why Christ? He said, everywhere you go, Christ is the subject of attack today. So while we seeking to remind ourselves, I hope I didn't bore you there. Did I bore you? I think I did. It's all right. Even if I have, it's the reality that you live under that I've just described for you. So on the one hand, we're seeking to remind ourselves of the gospel. But on the other hand, there are realities that we need to respond to. What do we say to our student? when they leave here, to our students, when they leave here, going to university. How are they going to respond to this crisis that I've just painted for you? So that's why I always celebrate when I see our students come back and they come and sing here, they come to the church. I say, we are winning. The gospel is still winning. Because you see, East London is small. They leave here, they go to Cape Town, they get lost. But we thank God that they're not lost. They don't lose their faith. So, quickly, I want to touch on two points. One, what is the gospel? Because if we're going to try and understand how does a gospel-centered life look like, we need to be able to understand what is gospel. And secondly, I want to look at why should we remind ourselves of the gospel? Now, 
I often like to say, one of the questions that we must not be tired of asking ourselves is that question, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Because I believe if that question is, cor is answered correctly and is applied appropriately, we will see a life changed. That question is not a philosophical question. The aim of that question is not only to make you to see if you're going to answer it correctly, but there is application that comes with an answer you give to that question. I wonder, if we were to approach every situation with this question in mind, if we were to approach whatever you're going into this week, whether it's a difficult meeting that you need to have, whether you're going through a difficult time, if you were to approach that with this question in mind, what is the gospel? What does the gospel say to me now as I go through this thing? Or, putting it differently, if we were to confront or respond to difficult questions by asking ourselves the question, what is the gospel says to me? I think we would be able to live better and model the way of Christ. Now, let me attempt to answer that question, what is the gospel, by answering it negatively before I answer it positively. Many people have understood the gospel only in terms of what we call proclamation or announcement of the good news to the lost. And that's true. But many people have understood only in those terms. The gospel is to announce the good news to the lost. That's the gospel. And then, when then they have arrived into the kingdom of God, this is how they understand it now, we announce it to the lost. When the lost have arrived into the kingdom of God, they no longer need the gospel. They need something deeper, something richer, and something solid to chew on in order for them to become Christians. That's how other people have understood the gospel. And I want to say that's a very unfortunate understanding of the gospel. That's not a full, comprehensive understanding of the gospel. It's part of it. We come to Christ because the good news were preached to us. But it doesn't end there. The gospel is not only the entrance to the kingdom of God and it leaves us there. No, no, no. It goes forward with us while we are in the kingdom of God. This is why many people have substituted the good news with the good advice. You see, because if the good news of Christ cannot carry you while you are in Christ, something else will have to carry you. Which is then you will need people telling you all the advices, which sometimes we need. But the good news of Jesus are more glorious and better than any other advice. But the new understanding, the New Testament understanding of the gospel 
It embraces all of the Bible and it holds it together. It takes us from being lost and alienated from God, separated from God. It takes us through conversion and what we call discipleship, in other words, growing in Christ, until we become one with Christ in eternity. It takes us to the resurrection of the body, which Paul argues about here. And it takes us to new earth and new heaven. There is no stage as believers where we say we don't need the gospel. From lostness to heaven, the gospel goes with us. It doesn't leave us, leave us at the door of the kingdom of God and say, you made it, now goodbye, sort yourself. The gospel carries you through eternity. And that's again good news for me. Because I need that gospel to carry me forward. Secondly, why should we remind ourselves of the gospel? Paul here in this passage that we've read, he tells his readers what, what he wants to talk to them about. Did you see it in verses 1? Is the gospel. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. By this gospel, you were saved, he says. And if you hold firmly into the word I preached to you, you were saved, but you're not, you don't stop being saved. You continue to be saved if you hold firmly into the word I preached to you. And I was challenged by that. If the great apostle Paul saw the need to remind the believers of the early church of the gospel, how much more you and I need to be reminded of the gospel. We are centuries down the early church. We are confronted by different things that they confronted them. Recently, statistics have been taken in Australia, and it came out with about 40 to 50 percent people saying they are not religious. They don't believe in Christianity. And the person commenting on this says about 50 years ago, people, even the non-church-going people, when they come to that area, they would say they are Christians. And when they are asked which church you go to, they say, no, my family goes to this church. Even though themselves are not going, they would assume that they are Christians. Fifty years later, people have come to a place where they say, no, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a Christian. But when they were pushed in this question about where they stand in Jesus, with Jesus, they said, if my friend or my family would invite me to the church, I will go. I do believe in prayer. I do believe after death, that there is life after death, but I, I'm just not sure where I stand. So if 
That's the time in which we live. How much more do we need to be reminded of the gospel? Paul wants his believers to pay attention to what he is going to tell them. Because what he is going to tell them, it lies at the center of the gospel. And then he goes on to tell them in summary, what he wants to tell them is Christ. He says, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins. So Paul reminds the believers as he reminds us too that the gospel is Christ-centered. The gospel is Christ-centered. If we take Christ out of it, we no longer have the gospel. Now, you and I need to be able to be reminded of this gospel. And you ask me, how often do we need to be reminded of the gospel? The answer that I'm going to give you is going to surprise you every day. I need to be reminded of the gospel every day. Every day. I need to preach to myself the content of the gospel. Because to do that, it is the only way that I can keep myself in the love of God. Or maybe not keep myself, but stay in the love of God as I remind myself of the Father's love. As I remind myself of the Father's love, I grow in affection for God. Therefore, I'm able to stay in the love of the Father. We need to remind ourselves of this gospel every day. Why? Because each and every day, you and I have a tendency to forget the gospel. When we're confronted with issues, when we're confronted with difficulties, we forget the gospel. Even when things go well, we forget the gospel. Therefore, we need to be reminded. But even more so, the reason why we need to be reminded of the gospel each and every day is because each and every day, you and I face opposition that comes in the form of temptation and sin. During that time, I need to be reminded of the gospel. I need to, re to be reminded that I belong to God through Christ Jesus. I'm different. I am supposed to be the salt and the light. But each and every day, you and I experiences condemnations that comes in the form of fiery dots of evil one. We find ourselves going through what we call spiritual warfare. We find ourselves unable to pray, unable to read the scriptures as we should so that we feed our souls. And when we don't feed our souls, we lose this affection for God. We wonder if we still believe. But also, each and every day, to some degree, 
we experience trials we experience suffering and therefore we need to be reminded of the father of, of, of our heavenly father's love by preaching the gospel to ourselves if if we neglect to preach the gospel to our hearts if we fail to preach the gospel to our hearts that will have effect in our hearts it will it will show in our hearts there is a beautiful book called a gospel primer or prima for christians and this book was written specifically to help in this practice of preaching the gospel to ourselves Milton Vincent says the following words he says there is simple no other way no other way no other way to compete with the forebodings of my conscience the condemnings of my heart the lies of the world and the devil that to than to overwhelm such things with daily rehearsings of the gospel there is no other way and what vincent is saying there is that each and every day you and i are confronted by the forebodings of our conscience we are confronted by the condemnings of our hearts our hearts condemns us and we encounter the lies from the world and the devil in a way he says you should expect that from tomorrow as you leave this church tomorrow this auditorium remember that's what you will be confronted with the condemnings of your heart the lies of the world and devil lying to you about yourself and so how do you prepare for that how do you start a day knowing that that's what you're going into vincent says here rehearse the contents of the gospel overwhelm such things with the gospel by reminding yourself what Christ has done for you we sang about it and we are to be remembering it as we go so we have this series before us in order to remind ourselves of the gospel what is the gospel the gospel is of course good news that is preached and proclaimed to us in our lostness and it brings us into the kingdom of god but it sustains us through the kingdom of god until one day we meet face to face with jesus we need to be reminded of the gospel every day we need to be able to preach it to ourselves every day because every day we have a tendency to forget it and every day we have opposition that seeks to take the gospel away from us and so that leads us straight to the lord's table which is again a symbol of our relationship with jesus it is a practical and physical symbol 
which reminds us that we belong to Christ. It reminds us of these good news of what Christ has done for us. And one of the ways that he wanted us to remember him was to participate on this table.